It's great to have everyone here. Um, and if you're joining us online in the podcast, we do have, um, we, we podcast all these sermons, so if you do miss a week, feel free to, to jump on. Uh, we're in the middle of a series in the uh, book of Ephesians. Um, we've just sort of crossed over halfway now, and um, we'll take this all the way till our friendship banquet, which is first week of June. Um, after that, I'll, I'll give you a quick sort of throw on, on what's going on after. Some people, like... Um, they're like, how do, you, how do you choose what you're going to preach on? Do you just sort of open up the Bible and go, yep, that's what I'm going to preach on today? No, we, we actually have a whole plan uh, for the year, and we prayerfully um, think about our church and whatnot. Um, straight after the, the friendship banquet, you know, we do hope that um, people that do get invited uh, will come back to church. And so we decided to um, ease them in by going to the uh, very uh, family-friendly book of uh, Revelations. Um, so that's straight after. <laughs> and so we're going to be looking at the first three chapters of the book of Revelations uh, straight after our friendship banquet. And so uh, that should be interesting. Uh, so if you don't really, if you've never thought about the end of the world or end times, um, it's going to be a good, good little time for you to join us. Um, let me start with a statement. Uh, what you do does not determine who you are, but who you are determines what you do. Let me start that again. What you do does not determine who you are, but who you are determines what you do. Action does not represent your identity, but it is your identity that determines your actions. So in this letter in, the, in, in Ephesians, Paul's been writing, and for the first three chapters, Paul has been writing to the believers in the area of Ephesus, and he has been stating to them, this is who you are. This is who you are. You were dead in your sins and transgressions. Spiritually, you were dead. Physically, yes, you may have been alive, but you were dead because of your sin. But because of Christ, you have been made alive. Now, a lot of times we get mixed up because it, it sounds like this is what you do. But being dead and being alive is not necessarily about action, but it's about identity. It's about who you are. You're either a dead person or you're an alive person. And Paul goes on to say that, that, that we have been made alive with him. That we were God's workmanship. That, that, that we are called by God, both Jew and Gentile, to be reconciled with God himself. This is not what we do. It's actually who we are. It's questioning our identity. See, in the first three chapters, when it talks about the identity, about who we are, what's interesting is there's nothing that we could have done. It's like, it's like having a baby, right? Like, you know, I have a four-month-old. And he has done nothing to be created, right? Think about this, right? What input has my four-month-old child had in becoming created, in becoming alive? He had nothing to do with it, right? It was all, you know, mom and dad, right? He just, he, he just existed. And in the same way, our identity going from a spiritually dead person to a spiritually alive person, you and I had nothing to do with that. It was all Jesus. That's why we talk about Jesus. You know, Jesus isn't, like, we don't just talk about Jesus because he was a good man. 
No, no, Jesus was the son of God. And because of what Jesus did, we went, it changed our identity. It changed our core essence from being dead to alive. Jesus gives us new identity in himself as a child of God. It's not what you did. It's what he did. It's just who we are. As I said, we, we get this mixed up a lot. We get this mixed up a lot between this idea of identity and action. The reality is that our identity ultimately determines your life. Now, the world speaks differently. The world that we live in says, what school did you go to? What do you do as a job? Who are you married to? How many children do you have? And depending on what these things are, then they go, oh, you must be this type of a person. Right? That's what the world, that's how the world operates. But, 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 but that's not the truth. The truth is you are who you are. And because of who you are, that's why you do these things. Let me give you an example. Now, someone says, some, uh, Steve, I think your sermon has become a little bit too serious. So I said, okay. I'm not, see, I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not that serious of a guy. If you get to know me, you know. So guess what this is? Right. Now, this is not a trick question. It's not a, you know, a cryptic question. Okay. It's a cow. Okay. For those listening on the podcast, it's just a picture of a cow. Okay. Now, I don't know how much you know about cows. Uh, there's two things that I know about cows. One, they eat grass. All right. I know that's profound. They eat grass. Okay. Uh, and two, uh, they make the sound, uh, mooing, mooing sound. Right? You know, whatever. You know, whatever sound. I don't know. Okay, they're the two things. That's all I really... I, that's, that's, I don't know too much about cows. Good job, Steve. You know. Now, imagine one day I woke up and I said, you know what? I'm sick. I'm sick of being this human. And I see this cow. I'm like, man, that's the life. That's the life that I want. And so I go out to Chatswood Park... And I start doing the two things that I know the cows do. I get on my knees and my hands and I start eating the grass. And as people walk by, I moo. I moo to them, right? Now, imagine you're walking past me, right? Imagine you're walking past me and I'm in the park and I'm eating grass and I'm making moo sounds. I don't know how many of you would be like, oh, wow. I haven't seen a cow in Chatswood for years. <laughs> That's not what you would think. You would think somebody call the police because there is a psycho in Chatswood Park. Here's the thing. Just because I do what a cow does doesn't make me a cow. You know, and this is, you know, in the most simplest way, this is what I'm trying to get across to you. Just because you do things, it doesn't create your identity. Let me say it in a really crass way. Just because you do Christian things doesn't make you a Christian. But it's the other way. When you find your identity in Christ, 
that makes you a Christian, your identity is a Christian, your core essence is in Christ, then you start doing Christian things. That's what Paul's saying in the passage we're going to look at in Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. He's saying that you who were once dead in your sin, you who were spiritually dead, but because of Christ, you were made alive. Why do you still live like you're dead? Your identity has changed. You were dead, you were sinful, you were dead, and now because of Jesus, you are alive. Why do you still live like that? That's what Paul's going to say. And, and, and you know, he, he, Paul's reminding us that, that Jesus didn't just come to change bad behavior. And, and I hope, you know, I think this is so important because, you know, when I grew up in the church, the Jesus that was portrayed to me was he was a behavior specialist and he was all about changing your behavior. But I promise you the Jesus that we read about in the scripture didn't come to change behavior. He came to change your identity. Not what you do. He came to change who you are. And because your identity has changed, as time goes on, what you do changes. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive and give a brand new identity. Verse 17. It should be on the screen. Here we go. So I tell you, this is Paul writing, and insisted in uh, the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. This is a description of the way it used to be, the spiritually dead. This is who we used to be before we knew Jesus Christ. You know, it's funny, right? I've been coming to church, well, I've been going to church my whole life. And I've been a Christian since, you know, junior high. I've been a pastor for the last, you know, 13 years. One of the funniest things that I find in the church is when when someone new comes and they do something that is, uh, say, uh, let's say sinful. A non-believer comes to church, or a non-believer they know. Okay, no, let's change. Sorry, their friend who's a non-believer did something that a non-believer did, right? So, for example, you know, like oh, I have this friend, and you know, he steals from shops, right? Or like, oh, I can't believe, you know, I can't believe they're so selfish. They only think about themselves. I can't believe they live such a reckless life. They don't think about the consequences in their life. I can't believe that she slept with him. I can't believe that he ended up with her. You know, you know what's funny, but they're just doing what unbelievers do. And we get shocked at that. Sinful people are doing sinful things. And we get shocked at that. And that's amazing. We're like, wow, how could they do that? And, and you're, that's, you're, you're, you're getting shocked that a cow is saying moo. That's just what they do. Can I tell you what's more shocking is when someone who is spiritually alive lives like that. 
Don't get shocked that people outside of Jesus sin. Don't get shocked at what they do or how they live their life because they're being completely, completely in line with their core identity. What should be worrying is when their core identity has been, has been transformed through Jesus and yet they still live like that. I swear more people in the church shocked me than outside. We are called to live differently, not because what they do is bad and what we do is good. No. We're called to live consistently with our identity. If you're dead, then live like you're dead. If you're spiritually dead, meaning that there is no God in your life, then you live like that. That is consistent with what you believe. That's consistent with who you are. But if you say that Jesus Christ died for your sin and that because of him you have been made alive with Christ again, then live consistently to that. Live your life alive. Verse 20 to 24, that however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, right? To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to be on the new and to put on the new self Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. How do we move from the old life to the new life? How do we change from the old? Okay, your identity changes like this. Okay? When you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, when you believe that, that you are saved because of him, you go from dead to alive in a moment. It's instantaneous. But, your life transformation and the translation of that truth happens gradually into your life. How do we do that? Well, the, the scriptures tell us, put off the old self and put on the new self. Put off the old ways of, of being spiritually dead and put on the new ways. Our identities have changed, therefore, the way we live must follow suit. Now, the best example of this, okay, is marriage, okay? Uh, my wife and I, we've been married for 12 years now. 12 years, right? 12 years now, yes. Just checking. You know, I was single for 23 years of my life, right? I got married when I was 23, right? Uh, you know, let's say, uh, you know, high school, 12, you know, similar, like 12 years since high school and then 12 years married, right? Now, I became married in a moment. Right? In the ceremony, I do, I do, you're done. You know, you know, sign, you know, bang, stamp it. I, w I became a married man. I went from single to married in an instant. But can I tell you and confess to you that the transition from living single or being single into being married, my wife will tell you this, has been a little bit of a journey. Okay? Um. You know, I, I did what I wanted when I was single. You know, sometimes married people, they're like, man, I miss the single days. That's what they're talking about. Having to wake, not having to wake up because of anyone else. You just wake up when you want to wake up. You eat whatever you want to eat. I was having lunch today. 
And my wife gives me this big, big bag of spinach. She goes, there's no green on your plate. I said, yeah, but there's vegetables. Yeah, but you need your green. You have high blood pressure, you know. When I was married, I, there was no spinach. I didn't even know what spinach was. Spinach was what Popeye ate. You know, that's all I know. You know, like you eat what you want. You, you do what you want when you're single. And then suddenly I get married and suddenly my life changes. One of the early examples was, <laughs> I, um, I know that for, for a lot of people that are new, uh, I know you can't pick it, but this is the body of a sports person. Okay, I know, I know for some of you, it's very hard to see, okay, but this is, I'm an elite athlete, okay, somewhere, somewhere, well, I was, and um, I used to play volleyball, and after we got married, um, some of my friends said, hey, why don't we play volleyball on a Sunday night, you know, because guys have church on Sunday, and I said, okay, yeah, so we, you know, email threads getting long, I think it was over like, you know, 150, 200 emails, right, because, you know, you're organizing the team, who's going to play, what's our uniform, what number do you want, how much money do you have to pay, Where, what competition we're going to play, right? I think it took us one full month to organize this, right? And, you know, I was pretty excited, you know, enjoy sport. And so finally, it was one week before the competition, Right? As I said, we've been organizing this for a month. More than a few hundred emails have gone back and forth. And the week before the competition, I realized, oh, I should probably tell my wife. <laughs> and so I told Mel, I said, hey, Mel, starting next Sunday for the next four months, I'm going to be playing volleyball every Sunday night. And not only playing, but then, you know, you have to do duty. So sometimes it goes longer and whatever. And my wife, I still remember that look. She just looked at me. And husbands would know this look. They just look at you and they make you feel stupid. You know, like, they don't have to say anything. And she goes to me, why are you telling me this now? And in my mind, I was like, because the competition starts next week. You know, obviously. I'm not going to tell you on the day because that would be rude. And then she's like, how many, how long have you been preparing this for? And I said, oh, at least a month. Obviously, I'm just digging my own grave here. And, and she's like, don't you, don't, somewhere along the line, didn't you think that you should ask me? And at that point, I was like, oh my God, this is what married life is. My goodness, I have been robbed of my freedom. Jokes. I was very, um, very sorry and sincere. But she still let me play because I already paid my deposit. So. <laughs> See, becoming married was instantaneous. Being made alive from, from spiritually dead to alive, the moment you put your faith in Jesus is instantaneous. But the life, living that life, living that new identity is a journey and it's a process. That's right. That's, I found that, right? Watch anything, you need to wait, right? You wait till you have kids, right? Five people, in my house anyway, four people fighting over the remote. You know, like who wants to watch what? And it's like sometimes like kids have done nothing wrong and I just send them to their room because I just want to watch what I want to watch. I'm just confessing my sin. But the journey of transformation is happening. And, and here's the thing. I don't think Paul writes this part of, this, of his letter to beat up the church and go, why aren't you living like this? Why aren't you living like this? this is the church. That's how I grew up. Uh. 
I grew up in a church. It's like, you need to change your life. You need to live like this. You, you can't do this. You should do this. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the point. The point is this. Paul's saying, live consistently. Know who you are because what you do will automatically happen out of that. Okay? So Paul's going to give us six different areas that, that he believes that, that needs to change because of our identity. Now, some has said, I'm, I'm going to share these with you. I don't think that Paul's writing this to beat you up. I don't want to give this to you because I want to beat you up either. So don't, don't walk out feeling guilty, like, oh, man, like, you know, I'm still a sinner and I'm still not doing this. No, I want you to know who you are first. I want you to know that you're a child of God first. That's the most important thing. Um, next week, Paul's going to give a few more as well. I'm going to talk a little bit about the relationship between father and son, okay? But I promise you, God's primary concern is your identity as his child rather than your behavior. Just like me and my children. My, the most important thing for me, my children, is the relationship that we have and that my children know that they are my children rather than did I do this to make dad angry? Or if I don't get A's, I'm no longer his child. No, no, no. His identity, their identity is important. So Paul's going to give us these six things. They said some of these are going to be uh, more relevant to some other people and, and some of these are going to be relevant more for you. Uh, we'll, just, we'll just go through them. Uh, first one is this. Uh, he says, no more falsehood. Verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of the one body. A lie is a statement that is contrary to fact spoken with the intent to deceive. Now, Paul says, as, as people who are spiritually alive, we need to throw off lying to each other. And we need to start speaking truthfully. And as much as we all think, wow, that's so obvious, we lie a lot. And we don't speak truthfully, um, even on the best of days. And so I'm not, not going to fly into too much detail about each one. But, you know, there's the obvious one. It's like, hey, you know, like, uh, the sky is blue. No, it's not. It's red. You know, like, you know, like there, there's those lies. But then there's the gray ones. And we're talking about this at our pre-service. It's like, if you, you know, you, you might not like that person. But then because they're a Christian and they're in your church, you kind of like have to pretend that you like them. Is that lying? You know, like, you know, is that just keeping the peace? You know, so a little bit of gray area and whatnot. But I will say one thing about lying. Silence. Sometimes because we don't want to offend people, or sometimes we don't want to say the hard truth, sometimes we don't say anything at all. But can I tell you, when you say nothing at all, you are actually saying something. You're actually presenting your position. And that might be a lie. Um, <laughs> there was this, I was listening to a sermon, and the pastor says, you know, when, when someone in the church brings their brand new girlfriend and boyfriend, you know, to the church, you know, he's never going to tell them what he really thinks, right? Because, you know, it's, they're, they're brand new and whatnot, right? And, 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 I, and I was listening, I was thinking about that, and I was like, oh, that's so true. Like, there are some times where people will come and, and, and you know, bring their new boyfriend and girlfriend to church, and I'm not going to be like, dude, what are you doing? Did, are you even thinking, you know, like, you know, but sometimes you, you just sort of have to, but then it's like, wow, that's, is that lying? You know, and, 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 and how I fill that gap is I would always follow up with a follow-up conversation with that person to clarify. 
It says sometimes when you say nothing, it actually says a position. It's very important. Second one is no more sinning while you're angry. Not sinning. No more sinning while you're angry. Verse 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, Paul is not saying that being angry is sinning. Okay? Uh, there, there, is, there, there is many examples of, of God and Jesus in the Bible where they get upset or they get angry. You know, holy anger, righteous anger. But Paul recognizes that when you are angry, when you are angry, you are very susceptible to sinning. Um, once again, uh, for those that are married, you would understand this in the heat of the moment. If you're angry... Sometimes words fly out that maybe shouldn't fly out. You know, they said when you're angry, you, you, you can easily sin. Um, we're in pre-service and they were saying, Do you, are you going to give any um, examples of how to not be angry? You know, how, you know, like if it says, you know, don't, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. You know, well, how do you do that? And, and all the other ones give suggestions of how to do that, but this one it doesn't, and I didn't pick that up. And so, you know, I'm like rewriting my sermon 20 minutes before you guys came, right? And I was thinking, I was like, oh, you know. But then I realized I did, I did write one suggestion down, and it's really simple. It's just three words, right? It's just let it go. Okay? And then we'll just, so we'll just move on. So that's it. That's my suggestion to you. If, you. if you're struggling with anger, just sit there and think, what did the preacher say last week? Let it go. Okay, let's just let it go. They say it's not the anger part that's the sin. It's what happens after. It's what happens after. And it's a very volatile time for a person when they're angry. The third one is this, no more stealing. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must not steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. When we steal, it's all about us. It's all about what I can get or what I can gain. But what Paul is saying is that we need to stop this and learn that our hands should not just be about gaining, but actually should be about giving. And this is where our new identity takes us. And so when we talk about stealing, I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't steal. I haven't stolen since I stole from my mama's, you know, purse, you know, when I was, you know, 10 years old, you know, sort of nicked a few $2 coins and whatnot. But then, you know, there's, there's many different ways of stealing. Maybe you're at Woolworths at the self, self-serve counter and instead of scanning twice... You only scan once and pop it in, hey? Or it might just be like taking some gum and putting it in your pocket and, you know. Uh, I work at Bunnings and, and they, the, the guys tell me all the time theft is huge in Bunnings and it's their fault because they don't have security cameras, right? But one of the ways that people steal in Bunnings, and I'm not sharing this with you to give you a good idea, but I'm just sharing with you because this is a sin, and, you, you know, we should stop doing it. But what they do is this, right? It's genius. This guy walks out and he's got a, a vent. It's an air vent, right? And it's a box that's like yay high, right? And it's big, but it's light. It's a big box and it's just got one vent in it and there's a lot of space in it. But how this guy got caught was he's walking out with the box and 
there's nothing in the box technically but that vent, so there should be no sound, but he, someone heard the clink, clink sound in the box. But there shouldn't be a clink, clink sound, right? So they said, excuse me, sir, can we open the box? So they opened the box and they found $1,000 worth of tools inside the vent, inside the box. Right? So this light box became this super heavy box. Right? That's stealing. I can't remember why. Oh, yeah. Do not. Don't do that. Okay? Don't do that. That's what I'm talking about. Okay? You know, it might be making false claims on your taxes. Oh, snap. All the accountants here feeling uncomfortable. And then I, I received a few, I received a few um, suggestions from downstairs. Uh, illegal downloads of music. Oh, snap. Jesus, forgive my sin. <laughs> it's all stealing. It's all stealing. And Paul's saying, as believers, we should embrace our new identity. Third, uh, fourthly, no more unwholesome talk. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The word unwholesome, it just, it literally means rotten. So what Paul's saying is don't let rotten words come out your mouth. Paul's saying don't let, don't use words or say phrases that aren't there to build people up or build the church up according to their need, right? The most obvious unwholesome talk is things like cussing, swearing, um, vulgar jokes, right? Um, One-liners that this, if I'm just going through your vocabulary right now, you know, um, I, I was sharing with the guys, I used to be really bad at, I, I used to have a lot of unwholesome talk in the sense of cutting people down. So, you know, we saw Albert today, and, 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 and even just as a joke, it was, and, and, you know, in my mind, it was a joke, but I realized it, 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 it also could be unwholesome talk. I said, Albert, you look like a golfer, because he's wearing a golfer's hat. Right now, I think it depends on the, the motivation, right? The motivation behind why you said that. I could be like, wow, Albert, that's a really nice hat. You look like a golfer. And I love golf, so Albert knows that. And he could be like, oh, wow, that's a compliment. Or he could be like, oh, Alfred. Al Alfred. Albert. <laughs> I don't even know what his name is. Albert, you look like a golfer. One of those old golfing men, you know? And, and unspoken is, you're such a loser, you know? See, that's unwholesome talk. That's not, that's not how I said it, Albert. I was like, wow, golfer, that's really awesome. I wish I had one like that. You know. See, right there is another example of unwholesome talk. Sarcasm. Stretching the truth. Exaggeration. Right? If it's not there to build up other people, then that is unwholesome talk. Number five, no more grieving the Holy Spirit. Verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, what does this mean? This literally means do not make the Holy Spirit sad or feel sad. Now, why would the Holy Spirit feel sad? Right? There are many reasons. Disobedience, rebellion, godless living. But I think the main reason why the Holy Spirit is grieved is when we don't acknowledge its presence in our lives. 
you know, we just do what we want to do without really thinking or acknowledging God and the Spirit in our lives. We just, just live our lives. And I think that makes the Holy Spirit sad. Like, not only, you know, like, obviously, sinning makes the Holy Spirit sad, but when you just ignore Him, I think that's when the Holy Spirit grieves. So how do we move away from this? Well, we need to continue to acknowledge Him in the areas of our lives, in all areas of our lives. Finally, uh, six, no more bitterness. Verse 31 to 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Bitterness is the anger or displease that we have against someone that simmers quietly in our soul. A lot of the time, we don't think that bitterness, well, one, we don't think that we are bitter. And two, we don't think that it's, we think that it's okay to be bitter because it's an internal thing. You know, like I'm not, I'm not doing something bad against that person. I just don't like them. I'm just displeased with them. I was cut and so I'm just going to keep my distance from them. Right? But Paul's saying, Paul's saying, you, you, you need to get rid of the bitterness. Do you know what the number one cause of bitterness is? It's unforgiveness. The inability to forgive creates bitterness. Paul says that we are to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, because God forgave us. Do you know why we're, and this is a whole different sermon, but do you know why we're called to forgive people that have done us wrong? Because ultimately you were forgiven first of what you did wrong. God forgave us first. We're we're forgiven first. And when we fail to forgive others, then we ultimately spit on the face of God. And we don't acknowledge that that was real forgiveness. Now, as said, these six things, some of them might have spoken to you, some of them might have not spoken to you. We don't do this to become a Christian. I'm not giving you these six, you know, the checklist, right? And, and, and you don't have to go home and I go, okay, okay, no more bitterness, okay, no more unwholesome talking, okay, no more grieving of the Holy Spirit, okay, tick, 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 okay, done, I, I'm a Christian. This is not do this and you will become something. No, it's because you are a Christian, because you have been made alive in Christ, Because your identity has now changed and be transformed, start living like that. Put off the old and put on the new. That's why our lives change. Not because of the actions, but because of our identity. Now, one final point as I close. The change and transformation that Paul talks about in this passage happens in community. Uh, Two weeks ago, just before Easter, we talked about maturity that happens within community. In the same way, our identities change, but the transformation happens in community. Two weeks ago, we said you can't mature, you can't be a mature Christian without community. And in the same way, you can't start living out this new identity without the community around you. That's the importance of the church. That's the importance of our life groups, of our ministries that we serve. These are the places where we're challenged to grow and to live out our new selves. 
So please understand that Paul does not just talk about individual change, but he talks about community. Friends, this isn't about what we do. Even right now, if you're like thinking, okay, I need to change this and I need to do this and I need to do this. No, it's not about what you do. It's about making sure you know who you are. It's not about like, how good can I be? Or how obedient can I be? No, it's about asking, do you know? Do you really know that you are now no longer spiritually dead, but because of Christ, you are made alive? And if you know that, then it's just about starting to live that out. I don't throw the rubbish out in my house. I don't wake up at night to feed my baby. I don't, you know, do the vacuuming, you know, so that I can be a husband, so that I can be a father. I am a husband because of the choices I've made. And I am a father. Therefore, I do those things. Those things, doing those things don't make me who I am. I do those things because of who I am. The question tonight is, do you know who you are? Do you know that you are loved by God, that you are son and daughter of God? And because of that, because of that identity, Areas in your life change. The way you think changes. The way you give changes. The way you serve changes. Only, and it's only when you know who you are. So friends, stop living like the dead and start living like the living. Let's pray.